We start today with a brief history lesson. Paul liked the work of being a pioneer evangelist. He felt he could build a foundation and then train others who could carry on his work. Paul was on his way to Jerusalem to deliver contributions to the Christian poor. Now he had his eyes set on Rome for a long time, longing to go there and teach and then proceed to Spain to help establish the church there. He'd been detained all along his journey, and the letter to the Romans was probably written when Paul was in Corinth, collecting donations. In the first part of this letter, he explains his delay in getting to Rome. He was anxious to get started on the work he knew was ahead of him. Now, the church in Rome was a very mixed congregation. You had Roman Jews who knew the laws of the Old Testament, such as the commandments. You had Christians who had already been taught by earlier missionaries about Jesus, and they'd heard the stories, and they knew things like the Beatitudes. Mixed with them were the early Roman Christians, whose roots were in the multi-god pagan beliefs of Rome. And now Paul, in this letter, felt moved to try and unite them, and in doing so, unite all the churches of the world. Many scholars believe that the letter to Romans is actually Paul's gospel. Its great influence upon the history of the Christian church is a matter of record. But the book of Romans is not a theological teaching, but is an actual letter that possesses timeless quality. In the book of Romans, Paul teaches about the church's relationship to the world around it, to the relationship between church and state, and the Christian's responsibility to those matters. And then he turns to the way we treat each other. The twelfth chapter, especially the ninth through twenty-first verse, is a restatement of several things. <clears throat> In it you will find references to the Ten Commandments, to the teachings of Jesus with specific, specific correlation to the Beatitudes, and really another testament of the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your hearts and love each other the same way. So from the message, I would like to take a minute and share this reading with you once again. Love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil and hold on to dear life for good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master. Be cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times, but pray all the harder. Help needy Christians and be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies and don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. 
Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even while it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with, so treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a long time might be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume all Christians should be vegetarians and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. What's important in all of this is that you keep a holy day and you keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. And if you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. Now those words, green beans maybe, but broccoli, never. It's God we are answerable to, all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That is why Jesus lived and died and then lived again so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the pettiness of each other. Pretty tall marching orders if you ask me. I think of our church family here at First Baptist. I believe we do a pretty good job most of the time of living up to this. We try and accept each other for who we are. We hopefully recognize that God has called each of us to this place and this pew for a reason known only to him. We try and allow each other the freedom to use the gifts God gave us in the work of the church. We laugh with each other, we cry with each other, and we do a pretty good job of praying for each other. I would like to think that we help those around us. We lighten the burdens of others. But this passage of scripture always hits me right between the eyes. There is so much I could do and need to do and should do to incorporate more of this into my own life. These verses are some I need to hang on the bathroom mirror so every day when I shave I can reread them and decide which part am I going to work on today? Will I succeed? Some days, yes. Some days, not so much. Can I do better? Always. Am I forgiven when I fall short? Constantly. But now we need to come to understand what is the bottom line of all of this. Somewhere between the time that Saul, 
who we are told in Acts was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, was sitting on his horse, and the time he hit the ground and rose up as Paul, he was gifted with the holy and complete knowledge of love. He's the author of the love chapter. He writes and teaches principles of love in every letter he wrote. He knew the importance of loving each other, and by loving each other in every way we could, we would be led to love God more and more. Listen to some of his teachings. Love never ends. Love is patient. Love is kind. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. Pursue love. Let all that you do be done in love. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through love. Tell the older men to be serious, prudent, and sound in faith and in love. He tells Timothy over and over again to set an example in love. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight into the love that God has for you. To the Thessalonians, he wrote, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love. And just keep turning the pages. All of Paul's letters, you will find hundreds of quotes on love. When he tells the saints to put on the whole armor of God, I am sure that some idiot editor cut out the part about putting on the underwear of love before you put on the armor of God. Something tells me that this concept of love was extremely important to Paul and must be extremely important to us. In the days ahead of us as a church family, we need to recall these words of Paul to the Roman as he tried to unite them. We need to let these admonitions become our rallying cry and our creed. We're blessed with great young people in this church. So let's all pitch in and by teaching an example, show them that this is the way to live. We need to use these rules as a biblical way to strengthen and build each other up. And by doing so, build up this family of God. Most importantly, we need to love each other more and more. I challenge each of you to go home and reread these words once again. Make notes on the things you need to work on and praise God for the things you don't. And pray very hard for all of us to strive to make this family of God the best it can be. And remember the words of Henry Frederick Emile, a Swiss philosopher who said, Life is short. And we have never too much time for gladdening the hearts of those who tr are traveling the dark journey with us. Oh, be swift to love, make haste to be kind, and quick to forgive. Amen.